Welcome to the Spiritual Shiftworker Podcast. I'm Lyanne, and I'm so happy that you've pressed play today. This podcast is here to inspire you, but more importantly, to provide you with the tools you may need in order to make a shift in any area of your life. Whether it's a small shift or a big shift, I will be sharing real-life stories from incredible humans who have done both. And of course, as a shift worker, we will navigate all the ups and downs of working shifts, from nutrition to learning how to ditch the overwhelm, to creating more time to do the things that light you up. So grab that Java, sit back, and enjoy. Welcome, beautiful souls. Welcome back to another episode of the Spiritual Shift Worker Podcast. And today's episode fits perfectly into the theme of making shifts, and it's not always about the big shifts. It really is okay to pivot and change, and sometimes the little ones are really, really important. When we think of change, we often think of the big changes that we may have to deal with someday, like retiring, actually changing professions, perhaps moving countries. But today's guest brings it in a little closer to the everyday life. Sarah Calmetta is a mindset and career coach for aviation executives and aviators. Sarah helps her clients build the foundational skills that are required to transition and pivot into those new experiences that come from their everyday life. Perhaps it's a new position at work or a new project. It's not always about the big pivots that need our full attention. We also talk about what action we can take to develop as a whole human. Sarah gives us some invaluable tips on how to find the things that light us up in order to have a full, multifaceted human experience and to live a life of full alignment. I know that you're going to enjoy this conversation immensely, so let's get started. All right. Welcome to the Spiritual Shipworker Podcast, Sarah. I'm so happy that you're here today. How are you? Thank you for having me here. I'm super excited to be on the show with you today. I'm doing wonderful. Great. So before we dive in, um, I always like to give my listeners a little bit of insight on our connection and how we met. So mm-hmm. from what I recall, it's not been very long. Uh, we met on inside a um, high vibe Facebook group for entrepreneurs and have done a few events together over the last probably, I guess, since the spring. Yes. Um and I've just, I watch you um, on social and I'm inspired by your calmness, um, your drive, determination, and then your overall joy for life, right? I just love that. And I would love for you to introduce yourself and share what you do and who you help. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Leanne. It's been a pleasure to get to know you over the last, I guess it's been six months now. I mean, my, man, time flies so quickly. Yeah. Um So I am a coach. I do mindset and career coaching for aviation executives and aviators. So I really focus on those transition points, the pivot points in life that we go through when we change our career. And usually it's um, people are thinking, oh, change a job, change, you know, maybe I'm retiring. But actually a lot of change happens moment to moment, day to day in our roles. We get side projects, we get stretch roles, you know, we've, we've now become a manager of a bigger team or a different department. And with that comes a lot of change. And we don't have the foundational skills to handle them yet, because we're not focusing on them. And as those changes come across, all of a sudden we focus, 
and it feels really unsteady. So helping people to go through those transitions and to build those foundational skills so that no matter what pivot comes their way, they feel like they can handle it. Oh, amazing. Yeah, I find like the shifts, right? So that's sort of what this podcast platform is really about is sharing how people are managing the shifts, the pivots in their life. And it's not always about the big, big transitions, right? It really is um, the smaller things that make up our day to day that people sometimes just can't handle. Um, And as a shift worker, right, that's what I do. It is hard going from even just day shift to night shift, um, you know, changing a position within that is even harder sometimes. So I think what you do is so, so needed because when you can't manage those little shifts, how are you really going to be able to handle the bigger ones like a retirement, right? Because that changes a lot for people. Oh, that, I mean, that for people is a huge loss of identity. And we saw that a lot during COVID when it first started happening, especially aviation, right? They got hit very hard. I was based in Hong Kong at the time of it starting. And, you know, that was near the epicenter. So, of course, borders shut, planes stopped flying. A lot of people were laid off or put on furlough and had a lot of fear what's going to happen or I've been a pilot for 40 years what am I going to do with myself now and there were kind of two divergent camps of these people who embraced it and took an opportunity to set up a side business and some of them aren't even going back to flying and there were this other camp where they literally just I mean their wives or their partners were besides themselves going he won't leave the house. I mean, he's, you know, this, that she's, you know, she's stuck in there doing this and they just, they could not get out of the identity piece of being a pilot and they no longer had that. So how do we build up the different facets of ourselves so that when things like this happen, because this is not going to be the last time, right? We're going to have other financial crisis or pandemics or, you know, massive earthquake and flood, who knows what's going to be, you know, coming around the corner. So we need to be able to find that solidity within ourselves. So when this shift takes place, I have a phrase that, you know, when you can see it, it, it always makes people chuckle, but it's like shift happens and then shifts happen, you know, play on words. So when I'm in school, I can kind of get by with that. But, um, you know, it's, it's really important to build up all of those pieces. And when you work in a shift role, like you said, day shift to night shift, your body clock is messed up. So how do you learn how to put in practices that support these shifts week to week, day to day? And how do you um, understand that this is not permanent. We can intellectualize that all day long, but the actual experience of it not being permanent, we're so busy running around in our minds. We we then don't pay attention. And, you know, like I love to laugh, but I don't want to laugh all the time. <laughs> can you imagine? <laughs> it would just be nonsense, right? And it would be very difficult to connect with people. So Yes, these things are great, but we don't necessarily want them all the time. So just reorienting ourselves to a different um, mindset. Yeah, I think when you just touched on the identity uh, piece there, especially like, you know, you don't when whenever career, whatever career you're in. So I'm in policing and mm-hmm. I find that is so huge, right? So many people yeah. get in um, at such a young age 
that that really is all they know for like, you know, for 30 years. And then something happens like a pandemic or whatever, like we as police were still out there doing our job. But sometimes the trauma of other events, so bringing into PTSD, they can't get out of that, um, that and working to get out of and make a transition to make a decision. Do I stay in this job? Or where do I go next? What's the next thing for me is very difficult for a lot of people. And so what do you think? How do you think that is? Or why do you think that is? Is that programming from childhood? Is that some kind of limiting beliefs why they some people don't believe they can do anything else? Right. I think that's a great question. And I think that it's a a multitude of factors. Some of it is programming from childhood, from our parents. What are those core messages that we received as we were in our very impressionable years? And then that's stuck with us. Um, You know, part of that, you know, we have this coach who talks about limiting beliefs, right? The limit and the serve. When you're in police force or the military or aviation. One of these, you know, these jobs that have a very strong identity and typically, you know, you develop a language, right? Same thing, doctors and nurses, medicine, all of a sudden, the things that you talk about, if you're not in that industry, the connection can't go as deep because the analogies don't work. The stories don't land, you know, someone's working nine to five doing accounting and you're out there being shot at, uh, you know, if you're in a really difficult district where, where you work, the worlds are just so vastly different that we create this construct in our minds of how we approach things, what we do, and we need to do that in order to be good at that role, to, to succeed, to continue developing our profession. But what we often do, you know, we, we, we are taught by society that the career is everything, right? The job title, the money, um, more is better, bigger is better. You need to keep growing. Some people are perfectly fine to be a secretary their entire career, and there's nothing wrong with that. But we have this narrative that it's not okay. And so then we, you know, get into this achievers mindset and we just want to do more, more, more. And it becomes this dopamine seeking activity. So then when that gets removed, we need to find other dopamine activities that give us that high. And so we turn to extreme sports. We turn to drugs and alcohol, sex, you know, um, food travel, we, we get this uh, addictive personality to something else. So what we really want to start doing, and I, I try to also with my clients, <clears throat> help them to infuse this into their family lives, into their work lives with their teams. How do we develop the whole human? How do we look at the mind, body, spirit, and spirit is on the bottom. I have a triangle in my logo and it's spinning to, to talk about the transition and the pivots that we have. But really, that spirit piece is on the bottom. And so it doesn't have to be spirituality, if that's a triggering word for you. It definitely doesn't have to be religion. But what is it that makes you come alive? You know, what is it that makes your eyes sparkle? It's not just being a police officer or flying an airplane or being a doctor. You know, people have gardening. They have, they write poetry. They, right. you know, take their dogs for a walk. Whatever it is that gives you that spark that's like, this moment is something I'll remember that's what we need is our base yeah. so that when the job gets taken away and then our mind is not being stimulated in the way that we are used to, or when we break a leg and we can no longer run marathons, right. And we're kind of grounded for a period of time. We don't just fall over. We have that base of, okay, now I have these other activities 
that still make me feel very good, that help me develop as a person and connect to a community. And then that way we can have another uh, leg to lean on, so to speak. And so we just create a multifaceted experience rather than siloed experiences. And then that's, you know, that's really where we need to start looking. And I just read an article the other day, the younger generation, there, there's something apparently now called quiet quitting. And this is this term that means that they're still working. They're not quitting the job, but they're quitting the hustle culture. And they do not, if you are going to force them to work 60 hours a week, they'll leave or they'll just sign off and they're quietly quitting for the day. And you, they come back the next day and they're ready. They're refreshed and they're pushing back on this culture of like more, 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 be super efficient and productive. You know, we're not machines. Yeah. We need to inspire and motivate people in different ways. So it's, it's really refreshing to see that, but I think we'll probably need another decade before it really permeates a lot of cultures. And we kind of need the baby boomer generation to retire because they're the ones in the top leadership at the moment. That's the mindset. That's what they're used to. So as it continues with each generation, we'll start to find those changes become more culturally the norm. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That is so bang on. And there's a few things I want to pick apart there, but in policing specifically, um, just given the way that society has gone over the last literally decade, right? We, a lot of services in Canada, I'm sure it's the same probably in the States, haven't hired as many officers, right? Budget cuts and crime reduction. And now, unfortunately, um, a lot of services are finding themselves behind the eight ball, sort of to Mm -hmm. say, where we can't find or there's other reasons why people aren't just not applying for this job. And the Mm -hmm. ones that are, as you said, are this newer generation where they don't really understand the concept behind these careers, these high pressured careers, and they're getting right. into it. And then within a couple of years going, oh, you know what? This really isn't for me, which is great, right? Make the decision. Yeah. But on the other hand, it's like, what can, what can um, corporations do to prevent sort of, or not, I don't know, maybe give those people a little bit more advice at the beginning before getting into these jobs. Yeah, absolutely. I think what would be really useful, um, you know, because of course it's, we're being sold by the corporation. Like, why do we want to work there? And I remember when I was in university, I thought for sure, I wanted to work for some big aerospace defense company like Raytheon or, you know, um, Northrop Grumman or these kind of companies, Boeing. And then as I started, I got into business aviation and I realized I can affect change here. This is dynamic. It's high pressure. Uh, and, but I love it. And I'm part of a smaller team. Like I know everybody and it's very intimate and I can get things done a lot more quickly. When you're in those bigger organizations, you're a number in a system and there's a very long process for approvals and different things, which there has to be for such an organization and for that type of work. But it wasn't my energy. And so I think really having solid orientation programs making it very clear in the first 90 days that people are in the role, what kind of lifestyle they can expect rather than lying and going, Oh yeah, it's, you know, 40 hours a week and this and that. And then they come in and it's 90 hours a week and they're sitting there thinking, well, this is not what I signed up for. So just that transparency 
And, and then really at an even younger level than that, we need to start having the conversations with children about emotional regulation, like give them an emotional education so they understand what they're feeling, how to ask appropriate questions, and how to choose something that aligns for them and not making them decide when they're in high school that this is their career forever, but what kind of lifestyle do they want? And from there, can they start to look at their interests? Where is there an overlap? Where are there big gaps? Because we might have some polar opposite interests that don't really suit each other to be doing both at the same time. So understanding that at at deeper levels will help us from the corporation side, understand, okay, this person we can see from their profile is a great fit mentally, but lifestyle wise, not going to work. So how about we can keep the talent, let's put them in this other role. That's going to be a better match overall on the, on the holistic side. And I think it's going to take work from both sides. Um, You know, I mean, in the education system, I don't know about Canada, but I know in the U S and I think around the world is really out of date. It's designed for the industrial era. And we, you know, the, the Montessori schools and these other types of schools that are doing experiential learning, that's what we really need to go back into. You know, it's not just programming of robots yeah. um, anymore. And so I think it's, it's going to be a, a big effort by a lot of different parties. Um, but we'll, you know, as a, as an individual, just making sure you speak about these things with your children and as a family, I think that's super important. Yeah, we do that so much. I have two boys. They're eight and 12. And so I think given my own personal growth over the last, I think, well, it's always been there, right? I've always known that there's something more than just typical work your 30 years and then retire, right? I've always known that. Um, But my, you know, some other people within my immediate family still believe that you must do this, 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 and this sort of the... And I'm like, I'm trying to get my my kids to think differently. Like, what is it that you really like to do? Now, my eight-year-old thinks he's going to be a YouTube star, but we'll deal with that. (laughs) Um, Right? But it's like, okay, he sings, he dances. We can see these things in him, his personality. It's like, why would we now force him to go and sit in a university for four years? Right where he's probably going to drop out, maybe, maybe not, but put him into something more artistic, something more like his personality. So I think it does start so much at a younger age. And like you said, within businesses where those baby boomers, and I see that so much in policing, right? There's still, mm. unfortunately, the old boys club at the top. Yes, um, same innovation. Same innovation. Yeah, that we really do need to... And every time we seem to get go forward with maybe adding women up there, getting women to those positions, because that changes the dynamics a thousand percent, brings a completely different perspective. I mean, that's why we've increased the number of women within the police service, because it's been determined that women do things differently. Right. So I think it it is still going to take a little bit of time. So I love all of that for sure. Yeah. So I know you personally, um, as a child, had a different dream um, growing up. Mm -hmm. And maybe we can just talk about that and how at a young age you you sort of did have to learn to pivot and make a shift and where that led you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, When I was younger, I was dead set on being an Olympic level figure skater 
you know, I started when I was three years old. I was there every day before school, after school. I still remember I had my Aladdin alarm clock and it was the old school style one with a little hammer between the two bells. And that would go off at like 3.30 in the morning. I'd have my Captain Crunch cereal, so bad, some taco <laughs> diet, so much sugar. I'd have that um, and watch Rocky and Bullwinkle. And then my mom would get up and we'd get to the ice rink by five. I'd skate for a couple hours. She'd, you know, work out. And then I'd change in the car and go to school. So it was like my whole life. And, you know, I mean, well, just to the point of what we are speaking about earlier, why we think we can't do anything else, I mean, I didn't even really have friends at school because outside of school, I was not in any sport activities with those kids. I wasn't, you know, going to have friends' houses after school because I was going back to the ice rink. So my friends were other figure skaters, right? And so it took me when I, when I finally did have to stop skating, it took me a while to build up those friendships and know what to talk about and figure that out because my life and my world was, was skating. You know, it was always about, you know, how do we improve this or going to a strength class or, you know, it was very physical um, and technical. And so, you know, I did that um, very heavily until 14. And then, you know, I just had suffered a lot of injuries competing. Uh, falling on ice is not exactly kind to the body. <laughs> it's quite, quite uh, damaging. Um, and, you know, I got to this point, I had microfractured my tailbone and just literally every day for a year and a half fell on my knees. And so they were always black and blue and swollen. And um, one day I just I couldn't really walk. It was so painful. My knees were super stiff. And so I went to the doctor and they did some x-rays and MRI. And uh, they said, if you have another major fall, you, you will likely need double knee surgery. The cartilage was very weak. And my mom was like, I mean, you're 14 years old. This is you know, this is not good. And, and as a family at the same time, we were looking at moving from Chicago to Sedona, Arizona. Now Chicago has a lot of ice sports, you know, hockey's a big thing. Skating's a big thing. Uh, it's a winter place. Yeah. Arizona, not so much. <laughs> you, <know. laughs> you can go snowboarding there at Fla in Flagstaff. Actually, a lot of people are surprised about that, but um, the Flagstaff's ice rink, which was 45 minutes from Sedona was more just for leisure, you know, and for kids, it wasn't really competitive. If I wanted to compete, I would have had to be down in Phoenix and that's a two hour drive from Sedona. And so my mom, you know, we were looking at one point of having like a small apartment that during the week I could go to high school in Phoenix, skate, and then just come to Sedona on the weekends. Um, but it, it just, with the injuries and the, and everything, it didn't make sense anymore. And we had a conversation. I remember sitting down with my mom because for a while as well, I started to lose the passion. I have some bad coaches and, you know, I was getting frustrated and my, my will and my, um, my zest for it. And just the, the belief in myself got torn away through this negative reinforcement style of coaching, you know, and, uh, I, I just wanted to quit and give up. And my mom didn't let me right away, but we had conversations around it. Then with the, the knee pain and everything, we, we went through it and then made that decision uh, and she allowed me to make that decision of, okay, I'm, I'm going to do something different. Right. And, you know, it was tough because that was all I knew. You know, I, I was, I swore I was going to go to the Olympics, go for gold, and then eventually become a coach and, and um, train other people on skating. You know, I used to teach skate school when I was 13 with little toddlers and stuff. And I just loved it. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, in the end I didn't, I didn't end up becoming a coach, but just <laughs> yeah. in a different field. <laughs> so, um, 
you know, that process, I remember, especially that age, right? You're 14 yeah. years old. It's like all of a sudden everyone feel like judge, judgment is on you and, you know, your body's changing. And then all of a sudden move to a new state and can't mm-hmm. skate anymore. So, you know, so many different things happened and it was a real emotional roller coaster for a period of time. And I uh, did I, some civil air patrol activity, which is auxiliary air force. And that's what really kind of reignited the spark for aviation. I've always loved the stars and space and, and, and airplanes. Um, and that gave me some di- more um, discipline, like focus every week we were doing something, you know, I was doing marching drills. I was in charge of the squadron. I had a, a uniform that I had to have pressed and, you know, spotless and all these things. So that kind of gave me a new channel in which to focus my energy. Um, but just on my own, I've always been uh, interested in personal development. So I would take different classes at the community college um, or, you know, do something that would help my peers. I, I had like a mediator role in school where I'd help mediate between student fights and things like that. Um, and that's what really allowed me to learn about managing my own emotions and not blaming other people or finding an excuse. And, you know, I didn't necessarily have that modeled for me. My mom was a single mom before she remarried until I was, I don't know, 10, I think. So I just saw someone who worked very hard, worked a lot of hours, uh, very fiercely independent, you know, which served me in many, many ways, but then from an emotional regulation standpoint or relationship standpoint, not so much. (laughs) And so it was learning how to communicate and not be upset if the answer was not what I wanted it or trying to force something to happen. And so that just, I mean, to be honest, it's been a very long learning process. I'm still learning it now. Yeah. Um, But really just that ability to sit down and look at the pros and cons of something at such a young age and be given the agency to make the decision. I think that's what really helped me to pivot myself multiple times thereafter. Yeah, I think I think it's amazing, right? Like you said, we talked about earlier, is that a lot of the schooling is not teaching. And that is something that's so important, right? Um, being able to get our kids to be emotionally well, because yeah. they're not. I mean, I'm a pretty, pretty strict person when it comes to the screen time and what my, you know, certain things like that. And when being allowed, especially with two boys, right? It's like, yeah. and my husband has got a whole other, you know, he's, everybody has their own stuff, but learning that it's okay for them to be upset, but what does it mean? And how, how is this serving you? And getting into those questions where, um, and I had both my boys later in life. So I think everything that I've learned over my lifetime has, is serving that purpose because I think yeah. a lot of, people and I, I not to generalize, but that are having kids maybe that haven't dealt with their own stuff. They don't then know how to take that forward and teach the kids today because they don't know, like you Absolutely. said, it wasn't parented to you, right? You didn't right. have that example. And even when we're very conscious about the fact that we want to parent differently and we we've done all this work, we still fall into those old patterns. You know, I mean, I remember my mom uh, talking about how she never wanted to be like, you know, her parents, my, my grandparents. And then she'd do something that's exactly like what they used to do. Not maybe not exactly a lesser degree, yeah. Yeah. but just in that reaction 
that would come out. And then later she'd be like, Oh my God, <laughs> you know? Um, and you know, we, we, we just have that programming and it's not there because we don't have kids. And then when we get triggered through different situations, it can come out. Right. And so even being very conscious and intentional, there will be something, I mean, trauma is a part of life and people think of trauma as like, Oh, car accident, shooting, rape, murder, murder, like all these things. No trauma can be that your parents were an hour late picking up from school. And for that hour, your little being felt like you were abandoned and you were all alone in the world and that planted a seed. And then that, you know, gets reinforced over different events. And now all of a sudden we have this programming that's making you do things to avoid this abandonment feeling. And so until we really learn these things, you know, we just kind of bumble around and repeat the same things, especially with boys. I think it's super important to model that it's healthy to have emotion for girls. It's healthy to model that anger is okay to experience. And, you know, working in the police force as a woman, you know, it's very similar to being a woman in aviation or any male dominated industry, which we have less and less of that, but typically these more technical roles, these more assertive, aggressive type of roles or, you know, where we really need to be quite powerful in order to withstand the environment. Not everyone is built for that. And that's okay. But there's very masculine women. There's also very feminine men. So getting into the roles that suit the energy. Um, but what I, what I really love is being able to help the men who are now in their fifties or sixties that are about to retire or transitioning experience these emotions and develop that emotional literacy and flex that muscle for the first time, because they now feel that it's safe to society's not going to, you know, beat them down or call them a sissy or anything. And they'll learn, they've learned now that even if that happens, they don't want to be in that environment anyway, but women need the same thing in those industries because the women become so hardened. And so one of the boys that they then reject their femininity And then that causes a whole slew of other problems with relationships, with health. You know, our bodies are pretty smart. And if we're constantly rejecting a part of ourselves, we'll develop different psychosomatic symptoms. We'll develop actual, you know, um, diseases because we're just shutting down certain functions. Uh, And we may think that we're not doing it, but we absolutely are. You know, the amount of tension Mm -hmm. I just did this retreat, this plant medicine retreat this last um, weekend, like long weekend. And I literally felt like years, decades of tension was melting out of my body. And this wrist issue that I had since last year is like completely gone now. Because all of a sudden, all the tension in my body has been released. I didn't even realize it was there. I thought I had done a lot of work and it was really good. And then all of a sudden I'm like, whoa, (laughs) you know. So it's, um, it's really important that we have these conversations and we invite people, you know, slowly, we, we can't tell them, we have to show them, yes. we have to just invite them to try. And then eventually, you know, they feel safe, they feel confident, and then they can, you know, come and take a look. Yeah. So when it comes to your coaching, um, and you mentioned energy, so the energy work and um, meditation. I know that that is something very, very important to you. I think that's one of the things that we've talked about before. Um, and that it still has, I find, especially with me and policing, it's like, oh, that's, I I can't sit still long enough. I can't do that. And it's still that mindset. So how do you, do you introduce that into your, your sessions or uh, coaching? And how do you, how do you get 
again, it's a limiting belief or it's a preconceived notion. How do you get people to embrace that or at least give it a try? Yeah, absolutely. Wonderful question, because I was one of those people, too. (laughs) And I mean, I used to get more angry trying to meditate because I felt like I couldn't do it. Right. And then I got frustrated and was like, oh, this is a waste of time. And I could be doing other productive things. Right. Right. I have that mindset. Um, And, you know, I'd, I'd get people suggesting it to me. And I'm like, dude, you meditate all day because you're a yoga teacher. Like, of course, you're not stressed, but like I'm doing important things worth a lot of money and it doesn't work for me. You know, it just doesn't. And that was my mindset. Think about it. And I'm like, Oh my God, Sarah. (laughs) um, I listened to a podcast and this woman was being interviewed and um, her name's Emily Fletcher. And she has something called the Ziva method. And I was like, okay, well, this is interesting because her background being a ballet dancer. And I was like, okay, mm-hmm. kind of, I did ballet and skating. So I understand that world. And just the way she spoke um, about her own benefits and a few other people, I was like, okay, I'll read her book first. And her book was called stress less accomplish more. So guess which part my brain latched onto the second part, <laughs> yeah. right? I was like, Oh, accomplish more. Yes. That sounds good. And if I can be less stressed. I mean, that's a great bonus, but whatever. I would just want to do more things. So I, I got the audio book, which I highly recommend, especially for anyone that's of this mindset or of this kind of thinking that it's not for them because she narrates in a very good way. It's, you know, she's got a good voice for the narration, but she also has the people who have given her testimonials, which are like neurosurgeons, high powered attorneys, police officers, you know, um, anyone in these really high powered roles that we, we would be like, Oh yeah, I want to do what they they do. They're the elite, right? Like, let me, let me get on their breakfast routine and their workout routine. So they read their own testimonials and they, they gave their testimonial through their voice. So you got to hear the different people. And I thought that was very powerful. Yeah. And so I finally was like, okay, well, I'll give it a try. And, you know, I did her method. I ended up doing a David G, uh, David and then J I, uh, his 40 days of meditation for transformation program, which is now available on insight timer, or I think even direct through his website, right. that man used to be a wall street trader and then is now a meditation teacher. Amazing. Amazing. And he looks, he looks like a, like a Harley riding Santa Claus. <laughs> <laughs> you know, He's just got this, the, this super laid back California vibes. And, but knowing his background is again, I was like, okay, there's got to be a reason why these people who I want to, I think I want to be are now switching gears and going over here mm. and are wildly successful and seem to live a way happier life. Um, and so that's what really allowed me to get in and experience it. And, you know, his 40 days takes you step by step. It's not just like sit there with your eyes closed, empty your mind. That's not how it works. Like no. you, you're a human being, you will have a thought and that's Okay. What it's about is observing those thoughts and starting to understand how your mind works. What are your patterns? It's about focusing your mind. So you can actually meditate on the color yellow. And that could include anything that's yellow, a submarine, an umbrella, a canary, a diamond, a mustard, you know, and these are the things that are going to be coming to your mind, but you're focusing on yellow. Right. So it helps you to cut out the other chatter. You know, sometimes we're ping-ponging around. It helps you to have more linear structured thinking and it calms your heart rate down, improves your breathing. You know, it's, um, 
cooking is meditation. The way that I incorporate meditation with my clients is, you know, what is it that makes you lose all sense of time? Yeah. That is meditation. That could be cooking, reading a book. That could be drawing, painting, um, braiding your daughter's hair, playing baseball, whatever it is that you lose all track of time. That is your meditation. So how can you do a little bit more of that? Just five minutes. Yeah. You know, start with something super small. Everyone's got five minutes. Even if you have young children, you can lock yourself in the bathroom for three minutes and listen to a song or do three minutes of breathing, right? And put some headphones on just for three minutes. Um, So that's really how I I invite them to do that. In my main program, I've got a few guided meditations for people to go through. Um, And then I I run a meditation uh, membership program where it's just every week, 30 minutes, we get together, we'll do um, a little bit of kind of mindset and introduction to that day's concept and then how it could be applied in daily life. Cause I'm really big on how do we make this a part of your life? This is yeah. not separate. It's not just this routine that you, you set and you know, it's kind of sits there like, you know, a decorative thing in your home, but it's something that you're using all the time for your benefit and you know, which type to use. Right. Like, do I need the moving meditation today or do I need the sitting meditation today? You know, we don't need to use a hammer when, when we have something to turn, we need a wrench. Yeah. So how do we pick the right tool? Um, and then, you know, it's, it's all recorded and you can go back and listen to them. It's essentially like a yoga nidra style. You know, I'm, I'm guiding you yeah. through, you can sit there or lie down and then you just get the introduction to it. And, you know, I've had a few clients who are in there who, um, you know, one of them, she's, she's a pilot and she said that she would get really tense and anxious before flights. Um, she wasn't able to sleep, you know, it was kind of impacting. And then now she is so calm after them. And she's like, I used to get angry after meditation. And now it's like, I just feel good. And her cat will come and sit on her lap every time. And so, you know, we all kind of smile about that. Um, and it's just really lovely to see people raising their hand and asking the question, like what I did, you know, I, I saw this person with this result that I wanted. I was skeptical, but I thought, okay, it's working for people. It's, it's got, I got to give it a try. And I did. And, you know, that was just the beginning of, of this journey. And there's so many different ways and teachers, you know, this one teacher over here might be too woo woo for you or too pink and too much bubbly energy. And this one over here might be too stoic. So finding the person like, what flavor of ice cream do you want? You know, just that's what you can go out there and find. There's all sorts of meditation. And, you know, I, I I know um, some precincts, not not all is a police force thing, but I definitely know there are some precincts, some sections of the military that are starting to bring this in, especially like the elite forces. And it's making a huge difference. Yeah, it, it definitely is needed. And, it's something as well that I've put out there within my service as well, because it's, it's seen, but I find, so does bringing it into these, are you bringing it into corporations, like into these businesses that you're actually like doing some of this training with, or are you doing it just in your individual coaching? Because I know like both. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Because uh, the thing for the companies is, they want their employees to be sustainable. They they don't want to have high turnover because that costs a lot of money to train new people yeah. up. Uh, it puts a, more stress on the managers because then they have this constant 
like training scenario where these people can't yet be left alone or unsupervised. So their hours are longer during these training periods and they feel more pressure. So how do we relieve that pressure? How do we give them the tools that they can self-regulate first so they don't explode? And then they can also manage and help guide these people that are coming in and make sure that they're building these practices from the beginning. And so, you know, I don't find, I haven't yet found anyone that's had a problem with it. I just use different words. Yeah. You know, I come in and I talk about resilience. I talk about mindset, sustainability, uh, emotional co-regulation. There's a lot from Harvard business review that's out there. There's a lot of neuroscience studies. So it's no longer this like, oh, it's just philosophy or it's just psychology and that's not real science. It's, mm. there's a lot of studies now that show, so, you know, I'll go through, I'll just put up some photos of what our brain looks like before and after meditation and how we move from, you know, the, the neocortex to our, you know, our, our, our reptilian brain to, um, and I might've gotten that backwards, but how we move from the reptilian brain to the part of our brain that's for thought long-term and planning and safety and, you know, just giving them some examples that they can then see like, oh yeah, that's, that's life. Like that's what it, what I don't want anymore. And I, what do I want instead? So just helping them to switch the gear from what they don't want to what they want. You know, I always use the analogy. Um, I know people watching can't see this, but I have it. I'll show you. I have this that I drew in my uh, book and it's, it's a donut. Mm, okay. You know, most people focus on the whole, whole, yeah. not the donut. But if I come in with some Krispy Kremes, like, is anyone going to go, oh my God, Sarah, these donuts are crap because there's a hole in it. No, you're going to go, yes, donuts. Donuts, yeah. Right? And you're just, you're just happy about it. That's Plus right. you can put your finger in the hole and you can like walk around and not get your hands all sticky. <laughs> so there's a lot of pros to the whole. A lot of pros. Uh, um, I, yeah, I think really for some people, they need to have that scientific background. And like you said, I know there is so much more out there, right? Like Dr. Joe Dispenza, is, yes. Right. How basically rewiring your brain and all those beliefs and being able to create a reality. Totally. Totally. You know, there could be two people in the same situation. Yeah. One views it as like a miracle and this was the best day. And the other person views it as horrible. Yeah. And yeah. at the end of the day, everything is energy. Everything. I mean, Albert Einstein, you don't believe me? Fine. Go look it up. Albert Einstein, quantum physics. Yeah. You know, this is a solid piece of uh, whatever material. We've got air that we're breathing. There's particles in the air. We, we can't see them, but they're there. We've got liquid, you know, our water. We can change the energy by changing the temperature. And, you know, it then goes into these different forms. We are the same things. We're made up of atoms and atoms are protons, neutrons, and electrons, which is energy. And they're just in this orbit with each other. And 99.99% of that atom is space. Yeah. Pure space. Yeah. So we just happen to be vibrating at a level that creates this right. density. That means we can't walk through walls. Um, <laughs> but our, you know, our realities are all different and how we perceive things are different. And so our thoughts really create our experience. So if we can start to change our thoughts, then we change the beliefs, which changes our behavior patterns, mm. our actions. And that's all we need. We just need to plant these seeds. And if the younger we can do, if we have children, the more we can plant those seeds, yeah. you know, the more we can nurture them. And then as we get older, we learn how to, okay, this seed that was planted for me has borne a lot of fruit, but I'm tired of this fruit now. I would like that fruit. Right. 
I'm going to plant this seed and I understand it's going to take some time, right? We don't plant a seed and the next day go to the garden and go, Hey, where's my apple? (laughs) We know it takes some time and effort and willingness to weed out what no longer belongs and plant the new things, nurture it with the right ingredients. So as we start to do that for ourselves, it's just a big science experiment. Yeah. So for all the really logical, rational people out there, it's for yourself testing and having your own control and your own variables. And what is it that works for you? You know, don't throw in the kitchen sink and go out there tomorrow and, oh, I'm going to meditate and I'm going to go to the gym and I'm going to become vegan and I'm going to do this and that. And, you know, it's going to be too much for your system. You won't stick with it and you'll get frustrated and then you'll go, bah, it doesn't work. That's right. Pick one thing, just pick one thing. How do you incorporate it? Tiny little bites of it. And then eventually that becomes your norm. That becomes your habit. And then what can you layer on top of that? Yeah. Making it a lifestyle, right. Rather than just, especially for busy people, like yes, making it a lifestyle and it does take time. Like you said, it doesn't just, you can't just do it in once and think it's going to happen. You have to do it, make it a practice. That's, you know, meditation practice, but every day is different. And like you said, I like that it isn't one size doesn't fit all. No, for meditation, right? Like for me, I have, and it's funny, like I have also done Ziva online. That's sort of what tricked me back in when I was dealing with my overwhelm and sort of just not wanting to, you know, I was like unfulfilled at work and um, just not wanting to really do much of anything. And I found Emily Fletcher and it is a different way of meditating, but it's, it's so easy to follow. I find she was really good, but there's so many out there. Right. But it's really about finding something that gives you joy. Right. And do more of that. Just do more of it. Yeah. And that's, I mean, life is meant to be joyful. We come and we create these difficult, you know, like, Oh, why can't I love myself? Why can't I have fun? Why can't I allow myself to play? It wasn't modeled for you. That's okay. It's about learning how to allow yourself, giving yourself that permission to just try something different. Yeah. You know, and getting, it might be uncomfortable and it might take time for that practice to really become solid, but it's that intention as well. Like, why are you wanting this? Mm -hmm. What is that going to afford you when you can be clear minded and make decisions and, and reorienting your thoughts to be in the positive, not asking the question of what do I not want? Or why don't I want this? You know, instead of saying, I want to be less anxious, yeah. saying, I want to be more peaceful. That's right. It works better. Matter. Words it matter. works better. It's like, this won't land for everyone, but for those who remember FM radio and being like in the car, going on a drive, you know, yeah. and you go through this like town, the signal's not as strong and you're on 99.7 and all of a sudden it gets staticky and you just go to 99.8 and it's clear oh. again. Yeah. Point one of a, of a channel change, not even a full channel change, right? Just point one. And all of a sudden you have clarity. So that's all we need to do is just turn that knob a little bit. And how do we give ourselves more joy? You know, making a list, anyone who's listening, go and make a list of what makes you lose track of time. What makes your eyes sparkle? What, you know, if you could do every single day and if there there was no concept of like time and money and any constraint, what is it that you would study? What is it that you would do? When you have that list, then you can start to look at things and go, oh, 
actually like there's a course on course RA that's free. I can take this course and, you know, give myself five minutes a day to learn something that I, you know, enjoy. Maybe it doesn't give you money now, right? If I say I want to be an award-winning chef, that's not going to happen tomorrow just because I take a cooking class. But if I start taking cooking classes every week and I practice these new techniques and these new cuisines every single day, in one year, in three years, in five years, I could become an award-winning chef, right? But it's about understanding that for you. I mean, maybe you just, you, you think that now and then you go take a class and you're like, oh, it's not that great. I don't like it that much, right? There's something else. That's okay. You know, we don't have to hold on to the goal that we had when we left high school. And that's what I think a lot of us do, which is why we also struggle to pivot. Yeah. We set these goals and we don't stop to check in and go, Hey, is this still what I want? Yeah. Is this still something that is good for me? You know, and then we, you know, five years are five years in and then we get that. Oh, well, I've already spent so much time and energy on it. Some cost fallacy. But for anyone who's left a company uh, role that didn't fit them anymore, left a marriage relationship. Yeah. You know that, yes, you put a lot of time and in, intention in, in and energy and love and money and sacrifice into that thing, that relationship, but ultimately it's no longer serving you and it's more miserable to stay there than it is to leave and do something new. Yeah. And that's, that is huge. I think for specific certain careers, right? Yeah. Especially ones that offer the benefits, offer the, the mm. pension and it, it really does keep people locked in because exactly what you just said, you know, um, people get 10 years in at a certain point, 12 years in, they're like, well, shit, like I can't change now. Like I won't have a pension. And it's amazing how that thought belief, that system keeps people safe. Mm, They feel safe, but it doesn't necessarily keep them safe. That's right. Because inside, inside they may be dying like yeah their soul is like crushed their the life is being sucked out of them and right. yet they're still not making the the connection between it they're only thinking of oh i've got to stay here it gives me the money it gives me the illusion of safety like you said instead of just finding something day by day that maybe eventually they can make that change right yeah and, is that sort of where you, for people that you work with that are in that position, right? Where the career is just not fulfilling them anymore, but maybe financially they can't make that shift or that transition overnight. How do you, is that how you you sort of prep them? It's like find one thing that you really like to do. And how do you prepare them for being able to make that life-changing decision? That's definitely where we start. We start looking at um, what are the things that they love to do? What are their skill sets? I mean, we go through Ikigai exercises, right? What is that intersection in the middle? Do they have one? And how can you transfer your skills across? I mean, stay-at-home mothers think that they have no skills. Yeah. They have time management skills. They have emotional regulation skills. They have, you know, um, mediation skills. So many things can be transferred. And I've seen some incredible um, LinkedIn profiles. There was this woman I, I came across and it was like CEO of a toddler. 
and she wrote like time management, negotiation, and something else, um, conflict resolution as her like top skills. And the way she wrote her summary and, and what she did as a parent, I was like, I would hire this woman, you know, because she's got the skills and all the, all mothers will have those skills. All fathers will have those skills. Maybe not to the same degree. Maybe they can't do contract negotiation, but they could be in a role where they can help internally, right? There's a lot of things that you can do. Um, you know, ex-military people struggle often to come back to the civilian world. Mm-hmm. What are the roles that they could go into that are going to be in line with that linear thinking that's going to be in line with systems and processes right. and that type of thing? We can transfer our skills to a lot. And at the end of the day, that technical crap, I can teach you that. Mm-hmm. I can give you a book. I can give you a process. You can follow a checklist. Congratulations. You can do the job. You might be a bit clunky in the beginning and you, you, know, you develop your own artistry with it later. I mean, a neurosurgeon, the first time they're actually performing a surgery, they're with another surgeon, right? And they're, they're watching and they've got the textbook, but they don't just read the textbook and then do it. Right. There's there's a process. So it's the same thing for us. So how do we then invite new things? You know, going to um, some of these social clubs that people think are a waste of time. That's where you build networks Mm -hmm. and you never know who you're going to meet there. So I then also really work with my clients to start doing those types of things, because, I mean, look, we met in a group online because we're both interested in, you know, we're high vibe entrepreneurs. We're both interested in doing certain things. We connected and now we're doing this podcast. Yeah. I hadn't joined that group. You hadn't joined that group because we didn't have time and we had to do the other things of our business or go to the gym or whatever, you know, we wouldn't be sitting here right now. And so a lot of our, our roles, like I invite everyone to look at the position you have now in your career. How much of that was actually because you applied to a job cold and sent a CV? And how much of that was because you were invited to apply for that role or you were headhunted or you were connected through a friend, had a casual conversation that led to something? Right. If you really look at it, you will have that experience. Yeah. It's not going to just be you saw an ad in the paper, you applied and you got it. Maybe your first job, but from there it's been a very different story. And a lot of times we forget that and we think we have to do it on our own, especially in North America Mm -hmm. uh, or Western countries. It's like, you know, move out of the house as fast as you can and like do all these things on your own. And you need the big house and the big car and the the vacation home and whatever else. Right. Whereas in places in Asia, like India or China, the the families, the the nuclear families are much larger. Mm -hmm. But then the grandparents are helping take care of the kids and doing yeah. the cooking. And, you know, there's shared utility bills and there's shared vehicles. It's, you know, 10 people living in a big home with three cars instead of 10 cars and 10 different homes. Right. I mean, imagine we started just living in that way. Mm. Then we could, you know, and that's not for everyone. That's fine. But living in a way that was using, utilizing resources at a better level yeah. and allowing you to have that time to do these things right now you're living in a way that doesn't allow for it, but how can you then leverage the people in your life and utilize everything around you to be able to allow that to happen? Again, you can create it. Um, I have had people say to me this last year, like, Oh my God, Sarah, you've been traveling everywhere. You know, even when we got home, you're like, so where are you right now? (laughs) Um, And they're like, I wish I could do that. And I'm like, you can, 
And oh yeah. no. And then all of a sudden the excuses start coming. I went through it too. I went through the excuses and then I realized they were just excuses. They were just to keep me safe or to keep me in a comfortable area, but I, I didn't want that comfort anymore. And even though it's been hard and scary, my mindset has been, you know, whatever is supposed to happen is the experience that I'm going to have. And if I get into a spot of trouble, I've got people I can call on, right? I've got family members, I've got friends and no, they're not going to pay for all my bills, but they'll give me a roof and I'll be able to have some food and figure my shit out. Worst case scenario. Yeah. You know, it's not as bad as we think. And it's also about understanding like, what do you actually need? Right. right. We were talking about living in the, the RV and traveling. It's hmm. a lot of the stuff that we accumulate is stuff, you know, it doesn't make you happy. And it's again, that dopamine rush when you buy the new guitar, you buy the new car, you buy the, you know, the new lamp, whatever it is, you get a momentary high and you feel good and you take a picture and you post on Instagram and like, Oh, look at my beautiful place. Look at my new thing. And then, you know, the next day you're right back trying to fill that hole. So these activities will give you that hole internally filled and then everything else is just a cherry on top. Yeah. So true. We can live with so much less when you start to go inward and determine Mm. what it is that really actually lights you up, what really makes you happy. It's not the stuff. It's never the stuff, right? It's, it's the experiences with people or places. And that's what I really want to express to people is that you need to be more in the present, not, you know, have that experience where you are now because you're never going to get it again. Right. So um, make the shifts where you need to, but always try to be where your feet are. I like to say, because that that moment isn't going to come again. It might in a different way, but not exactly like that. So exactly. And you know, it's when you know yourself at such a deep level, you can be in alignment. You can start to make choices that feel good for you rather than what someone tells you feels good. And that's really what it's about is, you know, we have a lot of knowledge. We have a lot of information, but it's not wisdom because we haven't applied it yet. And so you can, this was described in, I just did a 10 day Vipassana course. It's a silent meditation Mm -hmm. course. And, um, one of the things he mentioned was like, you can go to a restaurant because you've heard this restaurant has the best food. And so you know that they have good food and you've read the reviews, right? You have this information. Then you sit down and you're seeing the people around you eating and you see their their facial expressions and you see that they're enjoying this food so much. So you have the knowledge. Yes, this is a good choice. This is good food, but it's not until the plate comes to your table and you actually eat it that you know, you have the wisdom and experience of saying, this is delicious food. Right. And so that's really what the three levels are. We can go and read a book. We can go and watch other people with the result, but until we do the thing and experience it, then, you know, we, we just, we stay up in the head. We stay up in the mind and our head is not reality. The voice that we use our actions, that's our reality. And when we start to change the operating system up here and we rewire those pathways, that's when we rewire the brain and belief patterns and we can um, take full ownership for our life. Really. That's what we need to do. Take accountability 
for the things that we are choosing and not choosing because failure to take action, not taking action is still a choice. Choice. Staying stuck in a habit is still a choice. And so I want this one coach I worked with, um, his name is Jason Dries and he talks a lot about success being the starting point. And I believe that very much it's the mindset of success. What do you need to do in order to get to where you want to go? You feel, you know, being an athlete, you visualize that you have the result and you get into that feeling so that you can then start to create the patterns and things you need to do in order to get there. You know, every athlete, you talk to any competitive athlete, they visualize before they get out on the floor and compete. They see themselves lifting their weight. They see themselves crossing the finish line and they create this feeling in their body. And when they get out there, I mean, I was lifting weight out on the competition floor that 10 minutes before in practice, I was failing. Yeah. But I went out there and I was like, I see myself on that square right there and it's going to be a perfect lift and I'm going to, I'm going to lift it. And I did. And it happened. But before I was in my head and just like, Mm. oh, I don't know if I can do it and this, and I I would fail. So it's the same thing. If you think you are going to fail, you're you're going to, because you're, you're not creating the environment that you need. Uh, And then another point, the sticky point in our pivots is people do all this work, they get to a stop and then they stop. And they think this happens a lot with like new managers and they get to kind of mid-level management yeah. and then they just stop doing all the things and they're like, I've made it. Oh, and the environment changes around them and then they get left behind and then they're like struggling. They want it to go back to the way it was because they're not willing to change anymore because they've done all this change. Mm. But change is always going to happen. Always, right? We're always growing, always learning. And if you're not, I mean, you you literally are standing still. You're You're not... Yeah doing anything with your life really and I like what you said about even not making a choice is a choice and that's where I see a lot of people that especially within the policing who are so stuck in maybe the past of how it used to be and it's like well but you're making a choice to stay there you need to start looking the way we want it to be and as individuals that's where we need to start we start with ourselves Mm-hmm. And then it goes out, right? You show other people what is done. And then as the collective starts to to change, that's when real change occurs, right? Yeah. We want to create the world we want to see, but we need to start individually. Absolutely. And and people think like, oh, can I, can I really make a difference? You know, mm-hmm. is my one vote going to count? Is my one purchase decision going to count? It is. Yeah. Maybe you're not going to change it overnight with your one action, but you then inspire people around you to do different actions. And if you're not willing to do those actions, why should you expect anyone else will be? Yeah. Oh, I love it. Oh my goodness, Sarah, I could probably talk to you like forever. So, um, (laughs) but maybe you can just share with the listeners where they can find you and follow you on all the socials. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I, uh, go by Sarah, the pivoter, P-I-V-O-T-E-R. If you look that up on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, you'll be able to find me. It's, it's in there. So please do reach out and connect. Um, I, I do, uh, live, lives, interviews. I share a lot of resources and you can find information about the meditation program that I have and, uh, a busy, 
mindset reboot for busy professionals program that I have. It teaches you how to reset yourself in just three minutes per day. So it's uh, one that's, you know, often very popular and you can always just send me a DM if you have any questions, um, whichever platform, uh, Instagram and LinkedIn tend to be where you'll get me the quickest. I just like to play in those playgrounds a little bit more. Um, and, um, what else the, um, the program that I run for aviation, it, I do run it for companies, but if you're in aviation as well and you're interested, I'd love to have a conversation with you about that and how we can pivot you to having a sustainable and impactful experience. Amazing. Well, Sarah, thank you so much. And everything will be in the show notes as well. Thank you Perfect. so much. Sarah. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for being here with me today. If you love this episode, make sure you subscribe and share it with someone who you think would love it too. And a five-star review helps get the Spiritual Shipworker podcast out to those that need it most. I can't wait to connect with you online, so make sure you follow me on Facebook at The Spiritual Shipworker and on Instagram at Lianne Magahi. It's time to enjoy the shift, one breath at a time.